and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend too, Chris O'Toole. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you, Dan? Good. I kind of had a whistle there when I said O'Toole. Hey, it worked. A little, I Adding a little music to the show from now on. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, how you been? Good, man. Cannot complain. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are just, uh, you know, um, kicking butt right now. Just having a, a good old time uh, with this podcast. Tristan's just blowing up my phone, booking guests as we speak. <laughs> yep. I tell you, uh, in the wake of the Thurston Moore episode, we've had a lot of interesting people reach out. And express interest about coming on the show. And my gosh, we are in for a, a good run of episodes coming up. Nice. I, I can imagine. And that's my that's what I kind of hope for. I always hope that when you uh, get an interview like that, eventually the sort of like the ears perk up and the people start to not so obviously the listeners, but the like, you know, whatever guests, people that could be considered go, oh, maybe, you know, like this seems legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It always it always blows me away when that happens. How many people that I would never think listen to the podcast listen to the podcast? Yeah, you know, well, like, it just goes to show, right? Like that's how accessible things are these days. Very true, very true. And it also goes to show what uh, what righteous work we're doing over here, Chris. A turn out of punk. <laughs> that, I can't accept the royal we. That's you're you're doing the heavy lifting. We do we do this thing. You're here too, buddy. <laughs> You're here too. You put up with my erratic schedule and my sure. lack of texting ability and, you know, <laughs> you're right there with it, right? So. While this is all true, I, I I just think like what what the exact thing you're talking about, I I have no bearing on that. That's all the work you do, not me. Well, I, I trust me. You do work, my friend. You do work. And we're going to do a work <laughs> now. We got a lot of work to do tonight. We got mm-hmm. not one, but two uh, episodes with icons uh, to dissect. Tonight. Yeah, one yeah. real turned out a punk episode, and then a live bonus episode that I finally found and just had to get out there into the world so I could get on to making the part twos with those people in the near future. And I'm talking, of course, with I'm oh, sorry about the uh, John Jughead Pearson episode, and then of course the Craig Satari or Craig Ahead and Fletcher. Um. Uh, the live one from Turn Out a Punk live in New York at the House of Vans. So, woof, we got a full episode today, Chris. Yeah, for sure. That live one, I actually forgot. I didn't remember. Like, I, I don't know. I thought you put it out already. I didn't realize you hadn't put it out. So when when you were mentioning that it was coming up, I thought that's weird. I remember this happening, but then I realized, yeah, I had not heard this. <laughs> no, I think I just called you and told you all the stories that Fletcher told. <laughs> yeah. With my poor recollection of them. <laughs> no, it was great. Uh, yeah, no, I, it was a dream come true to get to do, interview those guys. And, and definitely a dream come true to interview Jughead as well. Uh, I finally got to, I got to nerd out. I got to really ask some questions that I've been wondering about for a very long time. Uh, are, you, are you a Screeching Weasel fan, Chris? Yeah, for sure. That's what and I thought. I think one of the – I don't know. I feel like I don't know too many people like uh, that sort of – they aren't part of their journey that are roughly our age. Yeah, um, like it's it's funny. Like I'm trying to think – you know, like they don't get the same vitriol thrown at them by people that uh, 
you know, like, I mean, like sonically that, um, that like, you know, a band like no effects would get, like if you were to bring them up to just like a random person, our age. What do you mean? Like, I, I, well, I mean, like there's a lot of people that slag, you know, a lot of music. Oh, I see what you're saying. You they know, that they the grew up with like for like the pop punk thing or something. Yeah. Like that. I mean, like, oh, that's just like some pop punk stuff or like, you know, yeah, I guess I don't, but, I think, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good, I, I do notice that as well. At least I don't know. Maybe in some circles they do. I don't. Yeah. I've never noticed that. Yeah, no, and they are, you know, one of the bands that I think has a pretty unfuckable with catalog of classic songs, like just like on a song writing level, like classic songs. I agree. I thought that aspect of of the interview where you're sort of, you could only answer for certain things because obviously the, they sort of had like a, a partnership in sort of the way the music was made, but... Mm. In terms of, I, I've been looking at it now, and even like a lot of the records obviously were part of my formative experience, and the records I still like quite a bit. Um, I haven't revisited some of them in a good while, but the thing I think that's most intriguing about that group is I really like the later era stuff as well, which yes, for it, me is kind of a rare thing for those kind of groups. Usually I sort of start to tune out, but I, I really kind of, I'm with them till sort of basically the end of that, I don't know, original run, however you want to say it. Well, that is when John, when Jughead leaves the band. Yeah. And I, I'm still probably even okay. I don't know if I've really heard that other LP now that I think about it, but yeah, like it's exactly, uh, that's, but you think like that's a long tenure, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh God. They had, you know, um, like, like, if, yeah, like, look at that. Like, they're like one of the few bands that starts like '86. The first tape comes out. Yeah, that is nuts. Like, and it is funny. Like, even in the interview, you dissect how they sl- they, they do sort of change sonically a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously, some from something like Bugada to like Bark Like a Dog. Obviously, there's like a you know a big difference or what have you. Like, you you do hear it. It's still the same band. You can tell, but it's certainly. I don't know, less of an edge, however you want to say it. It's more certainly more polished. But I think both those records like are are brilliant in their own right in different ways, right? That that's kind of the brilliance of that band, I think, really, for me. Mm-hmm. I just think like again, like I I really think Bark Like a Dog is an excellent record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think like, I think How to Make Enemies and Irritate People. Like yeah. they they're a band that I think you know, like you forget like I Anthem for the New for a New Tomorrow might have my favorite songs on it. Yeah, I don't know if it's my favorite yeah. record though, um, but I think "How to Make Enemies and Irritate People" is like one of the one of those records that God, I, I could still listen to that thing the whole way through. Any like you know any day. They're all great. It's funny though, yeah. That that one and Wiggle for whatever reason, I remember Wiggle people going off about when I was younger. Yeah, and I finally heard it, and it didn't really catch me. I still, it's still one of my least favorite records that they did. It's it's a good record, but it doesn't doesn't really grab me that way yeah and yeah i could i could see that i I do like wiggle too but i'm like looking at the songs and i know there's like a lot of songs on here that i was gonna say there's not any of the songs that really stand out to me but i guess you know what like yeah not in the same way as as even like the later records well i just think like if you look at that record it's wedged in between my brain hurts and anthem and both those lps on either side of it i think are brilliant and like I just don't think it's it's in the same category for me at all. But that's no shade thrown because they're you know it's a great record. But 
like this band really doesn't for me doesn't have any misses like in terms of like even a you know even the records i like less are still good records i just don't you know doesn't they didn't hit me but yeah like brain hurts or anthem or bark like a dog even like those are kind of the biggest ones for me out of their lps yeah i don't know like i might book it book it book it is my like one of my favorite albums so i don't know if but i don't i don't know if i'd put number one it's hard to pick a number one here um i know what i'd have number one for their song with the harshest lyrics <laughs> that, that uh ma- on major label debut uh hey asshole I love that. That's one of my well. That song aside, even I, I really think that EP is great. That EP, yeah, that EP is fucking awesome. Especially again for a late record like that came out in '98. Yeah, and I think that that's got some some of their strongest stuff on it. Yeah, no, I know. That's what I'm like. I like compact I disc that. is a great jam on it. Very very poignant. Yep. Um, and very poignant now. <laughs> Racist society. Yeah, it's got it's got a lot of real i don't know i i think it's it's funny that things sort of played out the way they did with uh what sort of what has come of this group but like they that record has some really like real strong sort of political lyrics which yeah. i wasn't yeah. expecting at the time yeah like that's the thing is like now now i know why i'm having such a hard time putting the lps in order it's because like they're one of those bands that like my god they put out some fucking killer singles yeah and I'd almost be tempted to like put a single on my top ten LP list by them, which I know is that's sacrilege. That's getting <laughs> kicked out of making the list club if you try and put an EP on an LP list. But well, yeah, I, I do think though they are they are a group that you're right. They have I think their LPs speak to a certain thing, and I think their EPs or singles are more interesting is how I'd say it. I think like if you take something like Punk House or Pervo Devo or the Born Against Split, those three are just in their own rights really interesting and kind of like, I don't know, for me just speak to a different thing. And then later, I think they get a little away from like what those were, but you still have like Major Label Debut, that EP, like I said, brilliant. Like, uh, and that's really kind of, I don't know those last few, but... Yeah, anyway, they're a great band. Yeah, like I think I think if I was going to put like I, a Prevo Devo is one of my Prevo Devo, sorry, is one of my favorite things they put out. Punk House. Then I'd probably even have then I'd probably go to How to Make Enemies and then I'd do uh Boogada and then I go Anthem. And yeah, but I could that could change. But I love those singles so much. There's actually, there's that compilation that they put out, right? The Killing Musicians one? Is it called Killing Musicians? Yeah, Kill the Musicians. And that yeah, comp- that's great. That it was funny because cool. as I was listening to this interview, that's the first thing I thought of was that comp is – it's even a good-looking record. But like – or I don't even know, whatever. It's I had a CD cover. It, oh, it is a two-double LP. Oh, it got reissued. Nice. It did get reissued. I remember at the uh, time it was only on CD and I, ha- I have that. But – yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's great. Like that's a real, real good. I mean, well, obviously it's the collection, but I, I, I like that. I would put that. Sadly, you want to talk about sacrilege? I'd put that on. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, like the LP, or whatever long play list, just because it's, it's very, very representative of of that. But yeah, that's why I think like, uh, you know, and this I think was actually the first thing I, 
Was this the first thing I bought by them? No. Maybe it was. Um, and, you know, as a, so this to me is always going to be probably my favorite record, but it also has all those incredible singles on it. Yeah, exactly. Which is sort of not fair on the, you know, comparative to the LP thing on its own, but. No, you know, putting a compilation also gets you kicked out of the, uh, yeah, it's a total lame club. duck move. Hundred percent lame duck move. No, no question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it is applicable in this case. I that's my argument. <laughs> I would yeah. See, that's the thing is like you need it. You know, this is why there's exceptions to the rule. <laughs> yeah, they can. Uh, people can write in if they want to uh, take us to task on that. <laughs> Turn yeah. out book footnotes at gmail dot com. Yeah. Us up. But my God, like this really puts it in perspective too. When you look at this, like the track listing about how many great singles they put out. It's crazy. And it's so long. I just remember at the time getting it. Cause I, I've never bizarrely, I have maybe a couple of their singles, but I've never collected their singles. Um, not for any reason other than I wasn't finding them. And then at which point I was finding them. I was kind of just, there was too many. I was just fed up. I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But, uh, and then some, I believe, are pricey, I would imagine, too. So I didn't really want to deal with that. But, um, but yeah, at the time, like, when I only had the CD, which has a lot of it, like, yeah, it's amazing. I used to spend this all the time. Yeah, like, I, I do collect their records. Um, and I really lucked out because uh, when I didn't go to Europe with Fucked Up on the first European tour, I took over Beef's job. Well, Beef took over my job. So I was working at Crucial Pins, uh, <laughs> yes. making pins. Yeah. And, you, you know, all you would do is, like, sit on the internet there. Did you ever work there, Chris? No, you've asked me this many times. I have never worked I'm there. sorry. That's okay. It's not on you. I just mean, like, the question I get asked the most or get accused of the most is that and slash living in Toronto, both of which I've never done. Yeah. No, I, no I, I definitely would never yeah. accuse you of living in Toronto. I know. <laughs> no, I have – I would love to, but I just – it's just never happened. Rose City Hardcore will never uproot <laughs> and replant itself in downtown Toronto. No, it, it can. It just can't afford the housing market. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I think – you know, maybe if we were still working at Crucial Pins together, <laughs> like we did back in the day, yeah, we could. Yeah. Um, but at, when I was working at Crucial Pins, all I would do is just like make pins and, and scour the internet. So I was on uh, a website of a record store and they just put up like all these Screeching Weasel test presses, like the original test presses of all the first singles, basically. Wow. And they were all between 19 and $29. Well, I remember, yeah, when you did that, because I remember it was a it was a funny era to do it because it seemed like it was like the lowest point for whatever reason, yeah, for their for their collectability for whatever dumb reason, yeah, and uh, yeah, you scored. I remember, I remember you telling me at the time about it. And then I got, I got, a, I forget where I got my book of the test press from, but I got that somewhere. And then one of the times fucked up was in England. I found a copy of their first LP. Uh, so yeah, like I've I've kind of luckily fallen into a, having a you know a quite a good screech and weasel singles collection but i'm nowhere near close to what i'd want to have you know well i think <laughs> if you're not then i don't hold the candle <laughs> but yeah the uh i just they're a great band it's just it's one of those things where i experienced so much of that when i was younger and then i had a lot of it because of course due to my age and I was always buying records too, but I just wasn't finding a lot of the stuff on record at the time. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of it on CD and then I just was like, eh, I'm going to buy it again. Like, so it just never, you know, and the singles again were, were something I never came across easily, 
but I've, you know, I have some, like I have, I definitely have like that born against is essential because it's just so bizarre. Um, what else? I don't have like those early. I actually just passed up punk house too recently. I passed it up again. Like really? Like, probably, a, like the second press or the first press? I don't know what pressing it was. It was just, you know, I saw it and I just thought, eh. With a sleeve or without a sleeve? It has a sleeve, yeah. Oh, that's the first press. Yeah, so I don't know. It was probably heat because someone else bought it after and sort of like, you know, sort of uh, whatever, posted well, about it. And I was like, oh, I passed that up. Maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> well, Chris, like, you're in luck. Like the, uh, the Screeching Weasel record to get is on Discogs right now. Oh yeah, um, what's that? The screeching weasel split with the Ozfish experience, the one we talked about. Um, and yeah, it's, that it's only thirty nine thousand nine hundred dollars. <laughs> I love when he talked about stepping on those. <laughs> no, no, this is the one that he. This is the one he said he sold his copy, and this is the other copy of it. There's one. There's only two copies of this. This is the one where the pressing plant burnt down. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. But he was saying. Oh no, he was stepping he say, on. Oh no, that was a different single. Sorry, that's yeah, the other yeah. signal, which which does go for like you know I I don't have that either, and I would love to. Get that's a copy the moving of that. targets one you're talking about. Yeah, that's it, the one you're saying. Okay, yeah, it's like a thirty dollar record, but the you know, it's not quite thirty nine thousand dollars nine hundred thirty nine thousand nine hundred dollars Canadian. I should yeah. say Canadian. The American price is thirty thousand dollars. I think that's great though, because if, if there are two, you know, like why not put it for that. Like why not <laughs> give it a whirl? Like a, someone, <laughs> someone might wrote, I thought there were th- three test pressings. Are you sure there are only two? <laughs> it's a great looking record too. It's too bad that this is never like. Well, the story behind this now makes this cool in a collector scum way, but it's uh, it's a cool looking record. Like it's too bad it it never saw its day. Really. Well, I got that sleeve, and this is actually at the same record store I got all the test presses from, but like maybe two or three years later. Yeah. Uh, I went there and, and got the one of the seven-inch sleeves, because I guess the story is they had copies of the sleeve, and they sold them or gave them away at a show. Yeah, yeah. It's a great-looking record. Uh, cool. I just want to point out that question that you referenced, which is the, the question about three as opposed to two. Just want to dissect the vibe since this is definitely the show for that. Yeah, <laughs> which is the question being asked. Uh, the name references the Dead Boys. Yes, the Sonic user producer. Name references the Dead Boys. The avatar references Ween, Pure Guava, or whatever. And they're asking about a rare <laughs> Screeching Weasel test press slash split record, whatever. So all bases are covered on that. That's the that's a footnotes. Hopefully a footnotes listener right there. Well, and then and then someone actually and now I'm reading the replies and someone wrote <laughs> that's one of the replies just the other day. Only two copies of the test press. This gets confirmed in the Tope podcast and then puts a link to the podcast. Really? Yeah, and it's from wow. Cal. Wow. Oh, okay. I didn't see. I'm not seeing them. But oh, <laughs> you I click see. The replies. Yeah. Nice. Well, there we go. Well, see, hold, a, there is a twelve. There's an acetate twelve inch. Whoa. Anyway, I didn't know anything about this. I thought that was really cool that that you sort of dissected this, and that was very, very much in keeping with the brand. <laughs> yeah, very um, because I, I just didn't know anything about it. I thought it was really neat, and I thought I can't. I'm sure there are more rare records in terms of like quantity, but two is pretty insane. The fact that there's yeah. only two, if that's legit, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. That's that's got to be. You know, one of the rarest records. I'm trying to think, like, what's, like, the rarest record 
I own even. I've got like, yeah, I guess we have acetates, but like that stuff came out. I got, yeah. But even I feel like those are, you, you have to discount that a bit. Cause you, I, I, acetates are that tricky one where I don't know. I, I'm just thinking like of, of things that are like, whatever, I guess acetates yeah. are technically actually pressed, but you know what I mean? Like, the, the circumstance of that split where he talks about the pressing plant burning down and that like that's just such a bizarre rare circumstance which is what leads to that but like, I still think it's bizarre. well there's apparently America's hardcore has a 12 inch was the rumor always that there was just a test press and there huh. are the two records that Puss had put out that are just test presses um wow the yeah, fracture side split there's just a test press of and there's another one that's just a test press I didn't know that actually existed. That's crazy. What well, the the uh, so that isn't the fratricide that that really he really did that. Yeah, that initially. came out. Yeah, and I was and I had a chance to buy it. Like that thing was floating around for like a while. Um, huh. But then it it you know it was always just a price range, and I imagine now it's probably like thirty thousand dollars <laughs> or something. Sure, it's very reasonable now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sidebar off this single for a second. Uh, referencing another single, the other thing I wasn't aware of is uh, is this Pervo Devo cover, the single by Screeching Weasel, of course. Is that still from uh, that's right and a half? No, I think it's a separate photo. Okay, because I was always wondering, I'm like, is that where that's from? I always wondered how they did, like, maybe, yeah, it makes sense because he's wearing like a whatever Ben Weasel, Weasel shirt, right? something or other shirt. Yeah. Yeah. But it says Ben Weasel specifically. And it says something at the top. I rate. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I was always, as soon as that came up, I thought, wow, okay, maybe it's a still from that thing. That'd be neat. If that's what it was as a reference, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe it isn't either way. It's very cool. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, and I'm my, uh, I used to have a manager when I worked at this store, called review video named Derek. That was mm-hmm. Bruce LaBruce's old roommate. And nice. he was like, he would always just tell me all the stuff about hanging out with like Ben Weasel when they came to Toronto. And like, I was just like, wow. Like, so I guess like Ben and Bruce were like tight. Yeah. Like that now when, it, when you hear the interview that you just did, but it just seems, yeah, it just seems like the time and a place thing where I, I don't know if that would exist now. You know what I mean? That that pairing. Yeah. Maybe it would, but I, I don't know. Yeah, like I, I wonder too. Like I wonder like what the modern day equivalent of that would be. But I guess like I can't imagine, you know, the uh, like there's a lot of, you know, like, I can't imagine that Ben and, uh, you know, uh, Adam from Born Against hang out very much anymore. In general, like that, those two crossing paths to that degree. Like, I could see people being pen pals or something, but just like knowing Toronto, I don't know what overlap with Toronto had with Chicago stuff. I guess it's when they were coming through or whatever. But yeah, yeah. it just seems like I don't know. You would you would know better than me, but I, I've never the kinship I've ever been aware of. Really aware of anything previous to this, you know. Whereas you'll read about uh, like the mods playing New York or something in the first wave or the Vile Tones stuff like that. But after that, it's like I don't, you know, it's just like sister city ideas or stuff like that. I don't remember anything that I've ever heard previous to this. 
I think it was probably through like Maximum Rock and Roll and Zine stuff. Yeah, it, likely it is. Yeah, in hindsight, but I just yeah, I'm just it just seems it seems weird in hindsight, and not in a bad way. It's just the idea that there's that, and there's also the Sam McFeeders connection. It was a different time. Well, I think it also speaks to what he was talking about in the episode where they didn't really have a home, you know, like there's not like, you know, especially, yeah. you know, I always just assume they were part of this like sort of lookout scene. I guess they were part of the scene with the queers and Mr. T experience and sloppy seconds and that kind of stuff. But beyond like, you know, that those bands, like they didn't really fit in anywhere. They weren't part of the epitaph stuff that was going on and the fat stuff that was going on. They couldn't really fit with the New York hardcore thing. So they kind of, I imagine, just sit somewhere in the middle or just mean the hardcore thing in general, I guess. But, you know, like, so it just makes sense that they're kind of like friends with everybody because they're not really yeah, part they, of one they, they, given like, scene. Well, I think that's something that you do bringing to light when people talk about their stories is because... I don't know if it's just because I didn't read enough of these interviews being younger. I, I never really, I don't know. I never read a lot of Screeching Weasel like interviews or anything. Yeah, um, that many. And so I never it. heard. But it's you know the idea. In hindsight, it seems like this band would have had a home, like you, like you would assume in that sort of like they would have been one of the OG sort of pop punk bands, and then it all just grows from there. But yeah, like their their trajectory is kind of bizarre because they kind of break up. Really. At, like the kind of the height of it or whatever, not yeah. not not entirely because I guess they kind of are done at two thousand. It's it's really breaking like years before that, but they're sort of you know they're not really on that wave. I guess the Riverdale's thing with Green Day maybe you could consider, but yeah, but like yeah, I I, I don't know. They're just, I I think bands like this are very interesting to me. Like the the idea of existing in an era of where you don't have a home as a band like this yet clearly now in hindsight it seems like they should have but you know it's part of its geography i'm sure part of its who knows what else but yeah it is it is peculiar it's also they never broke up right like they don't break up until um what 2000 something for the first time that's what he mentions yeah and by the discography here that makes sense because it's yeah. like nothing from that until 2011 release still consistent records like they they stopped touring, you know yeah. that one kind of real tour, and then like as you said, they stopped touring, and then it was just like a record releasing only kind of operation. But I guess it makes sense. Like this is at a time when you would sell, I don't know, ninety thousand CDs, probably hundred thousand yeah, CDs. Well, that is his story. But when they started having to do like the the whole whatever the tax income issue, I you know I was kind of floored to hear him mentioned the amount of mentioned and I thought, wow. But yeah. It does make sense when you think of like all the labels they were on and yeah, they would have moved some records for sure. They were like uh you know, as far as punk of that era, they were like a household name. Yeah. Um so but it it is bizarre because like now I couldn't imagine most punk bands <laughs> making that much oh god uh on that level anyway. But uh You would have to uh, have like a trillion plays on Spotify. <laughs> Exactly. Like, like literally, probably like, you know, a hundred million plays to get a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't be saying that. I don't. I haven't actually looked at the math, but, (laughs) but I imagine it would be, 
Yeah, not not not. There's no equivalency one to one. That's for sure. No, but I think that the one talking point I found very interesting, based on what you're bringing up now about the the sort of the record releasing machine that stops touring, is I don't know if it was like it, maybe to someone like Ben it was intentional, but it was like irritating the people like me because I never got to see them. I think the only time I had an opportunity, I believe they did some bizarre like Chicago regional show or whatever. And like the, I'm going to say early 2000, maybe around 2000 or something. Or maybe that's those blue shows that he's talking about. I think. Yeah, maybe I, I had one opportunity to see them, but it was definitely sort of like after the fact in my mind. And I didn't, take take the opportunity and then like of the og whatever era whatever you want to call it and then uh, because i know they've toured i think since or whatever in in, like the last whatever like eight years or some odd but i thought like that era of like getting into those records and just not being able to see them like i thought was a really kind of interesting move because it kept me very interested (laughs) you know what i mean like because then i thought they broke up live or whatever like from playing really after like anthem i thought yeah, they, 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 I think it's even before that, okay. right? Maybe they did that one tour, like the one yeah. real tour, and then maybe they did like, you know, smaller things off that. But yeah, like I guess it, it's, it's, uh, I, they only played Toronto the one time, um, at, that will go down in infamy. Uh, former guest Simon Harvey did the show and, uh, definitely had a, uh, experience doing it. Oh, next time he comes on, I'll ask him about it. Or if Ben ever. What what year was that? Like what? Uh, what record? Ninety something, ninety two, maybe ninety one. Okay, so it's like that earlier. Gotcha. I didn't. Wasn't maybe sure maybe it's ninety three. Crazy. Yeah. No. No. It definitely. It sounded like an insane show. Like just rammed with people. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, but it's. It- it was weird to get into a group like that sort of posthumously. And then, because I remember actually, yeah, because when they put out Bark Like a Dog, I remember that coming out. I remember it being like a big deal because it was like, yeah, they're maybe they're back, but then like they never played <laughs> that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah, and I don't think they just did. like this bizarre thing. They, used, they had but, a lot yeah. of like friendships in Toronto too. Like Luann from Full Blast was like tight with Ben Weasel so much so that. He at one point started doing a minor league hockey zine called Blood on yeah. the Ice. Yeah. And she would have that in the store. Because <laughs> he would send it up to her. I remember hearing tell of it, but I never uh, never read it. It was super fucking boring, Chris. <laughs> like, I, I was like, oh my God. I cannot imagine liking a band enough to read the lead singer's thoughts <laughs> on minor league hockey. Didn't win you over, right? Eh? Didn't win you over. Did not turn me into a hockey fan. If it um, was minor league like wrestling, though, you'd have been psyched. Oh my fucking god! You'd <laughs> be Bob Mold then. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else of that interview really jumped out at me. Um, there was a few things I was listening to it in passing. Uh, I thought it was funny how the sloppy seconds thing didn't seem to be an actual like beef. I always assumed that was a real beef. Yeah, I always heard it was a beef too. Like, I, but maybe that, you know, 
maybe when Bruce first heard it, he was super pissed about it. I I would love to have Bruce LaBruce on. Like that's someone yeah, that I think for sure would have amazing kind of insight on this era and and incredible stories and stuff. But yeah, I always heard it was like kind of like perceived more as like um, an attack before you know recognizing that there was an irony to it. I'm not saying it's a tasteful song. Definitely not saying it's a tasteful song. But at the same time, yeah. like you know, it's clear that they're they're not, you know, writing some super fucking disgusting, you know, you know, it's like meant to be taken tongue in cheek as kind of implied here. Uh, but it did lead to, in my opinion, one of the greatest pop punk songs of the era, which I definitely wanted to talk about today. Yeah, that's an amazing song. It's amazing. a fucking incredible song. And it's like, I, I kind of wanted to, to do this with you today, Chris. Yeah. Let's do the top five mainstream E, obviously E, because these are not mainstream, but I mean like household names, like you said, punk bands of the era songs. Okay. So like, give me an idea. So, so I want to be homosexual. Is, is good, yeah. That's I, I'm with that. That's right. A good, uh, yeah. Nation States. By Propagandi. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's not my favorite Propagandi song, but like, no, I just mean like lyrically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to put this in here. You don't have to, because I know you probably won't, but, uh, bro him. No, that's fair. I get where you're going with it. That, that definitely suits the category. Uh, I would say the song that ended the era, um, and, but is also like one of the great songs of the era, the decline by no effects. Yeah. I'm not having that one. That's way late for me, but yeah, I do. That's you like, love it. That's the song that ends the era. That's when the, when the book closes. <laughs> I guess yeah, I, it was already closed for me, so I never warmed to that EP at all. It's I know there's a lot of people that live and die by it, but it's you know it's fine. That <laughs> doesn't um, do anything for me. Pretty fly for a white guy. No, just kidding. Uh, no, not having that at all. <laughs> I, I might though. Like I really did like the song "Self Esteem" at the time. Yeah, that's now fine. listening to it, that's like maybe like the biggest fuckboy anthem of all time. Yeah. But it's not like like song why like song writing wise it's not the worst thing ever. Baseline's kind of cheesy, but the other like the funniest part about that is okay, you take that song, that song compared to what the hell is that the the one about driving your car or whatever, like what is that song on that record? Oh, um, is it on the next one? No, it's on that record. It was the other the other like breakout whatever radio hit. Like he, they still play it. It's very like separated. No, that one, that's the big jam. But there was, a, there was like those three, like, like, uh, there was that, there was, uh, whatever the one you just mentioned, it's self esteem. Then there was the other one is, let's just, I'll look it up here. Hold on. Got to go to the resource for this one. Anyway, yes, I'd be remiss to not, and, uh, did like moments of when it came out for sure. Um, I would probably I know, though, I would have Rancid. to put a I would say like Vigilante by Rancid, but that's also just being my personal opinion. No, that's a fair one. I would use a bigger one though. I'd say yeah, one you probably have to say a bigger one. If we're, we're, we're the parameters I've established here are definitely. Big I think songs. it's bad bad habit maybe. Yeah, I think it's bad habit. Would you put Blink One Eighty Two? Oh, Gotta Get Away Two was a single off this record. They had a yeah. lot of singles off this fucking record. Yeah. But the one about driving is really rough. Like, if you hear it again, there's that whole part where he's, like, telling – I don't know. It's just so weird. <laughs> but uh, it's very, very, like, of, like, the 
<laughs> of the uh, very much cringeworthy, uh, how do I want to phrase this? Like faux, arguably faux rebellion in mainstream whatever, certainly rock radio and or videos and all that nonsense. I put up like that Rage Against Machines back to back with whatever the hell this is. I think it's Bad Habit where it has like the the you know explicit part of the song that everyone just like rages on it was just yeah it it defeated its point <laughs> because the legions of people listen to it it they failed to recognize what it what was being said yeah and it comes off just super super corny in hindsight did but, you know that uh, the offspring did a split with Lauren Hill with what Lauren Hill did you yeah. say yeah i did not know that <laughs> Weird. They're like they're a weird band. Yeah, we did we did do a bit of this dissection in an old one before, uh, but what's so okay? So your list again? I, so we. D- so I have I have on my list. I've got uh, I want to be homosexual. That's a good one. Yeah, nation states. Nation uh, states. I'm just trying to think if I would trying to think of bands like that that I would put songs that high. Uh I feel like I would put a Pansy Division song in there. I would put a Pansy Division song. Yeah, you're right. But I'm like, I wonder if that's almost like a different thing. Like I'm just talking about like the mainstreamy. Yeah, you're right. It's tough. I don't. I don't know. Maybe like the song I, from Angus, the Angus soundtrack. <laughs> Have you ever done a deep dive on the Angus soundtrack? No, I don't believe so. Yeah, well, hopefully that comes up. I never, I definitely never have personally. Maybe on the Chris <laughs> Freeman episode, we didn't, we didn't do that. I don't think so. God, that's definitely worthy of a deep dive at some point. <laughs> but regardless, I don't know. I have a hard time matching you here because this is not like I think. Like if no effects, if I had to pick a no effects song, what would I pick? I'd probably pick Lori Myers. Mm, no. I'd probably pick uh, the bruise, let's say. Yeah. And then, because it's just like a crowd favorite, if not, maybe Kill All the White Man or, I don't know, Moron Brothers or something. Those would be one of, I'm sure I'm missing one or two in there. Uh, so, I guess, yeah, like maybe putting Brohim in kind of threw it off. Because I was thinking more like the bands like, uh, I don't know, like maybe not political moment. With propaganda, it doesn't make sense either because everything's a political moment. With that band, <laughs> yeah, but, but like I don't know, I don't know what I was getting at there. But yeah, I'm gonna make a playlist for myself to listen to with all these songs on it. Well, that's and, fine. I think what this is good is uh, I f- I'm going to shamelessly solicit if people kind of get what Damien's getting at, then uh, feel free to submit your choices to turn it upon footnotes at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, we're gonna do a mailbag episode real soon. Yeah, um, for the holidays, uh, a big. We're gonna do like the the turned at a punk holiday non-denominational let's put the x back in xmas for chris uh and dave one of the daves uh holiday celebration uh we're gonna have uh i'm just brain i'm just i'm just spitballing here chris we're gonna have guests obviously the two daves um maybe we'll get some other people calling in uh and we'll also do a mailbag Yes, a, a super sure. mailbag. Yeah, and uh, we'll break down our picks for the top three episodes of the year. 
Yeah, I think we did something similar last year. I think that would be a good idea this year for sure. Yeah, like I think this will be like what we did last year, except uh, we're going to do it before the new year, hopefully. Yeah. Because I think last year we did after the new year. Based on your schedule being uh, accommodating. <laughs> well, like I got, I'm got, i on tour next week. Yeah. By the way, if you're on the West Coast, come and see me. I'll be the guy singing on stage and uh, we can talk and, and it'll be like a turn it a punk episode, but IRL. <laughs> and uh yeah so we're playing these shows all up the coast starting in phoenix uh, and going ending in vancouver so if you're on the west coast of the united states or canada you know let's be honest major city uh we might be coming to you probably coming to you probably nice. coming to you. uh but yeah so we've got that coming up and then there's some other things here and there uh but also uh, the other thing i want to do is I want to try and do a live Turn It A Punk podcast at that Mets uh, fucked up show. Yeah, the one coming up in uh, – what date is that? On yeah. December 22nd. There you go. Yep. Because last time I was at the Opera House and we did that live episode, uh, I <laughs> yeah. talked to Athena, the the owner of the Opera House, the woman who's uh-huh. run that place for since I was a kid, booked my band for my very first show ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was talking to her. And I brought up, of course, the infamous but legendary oh, around these parts turned out a punk's favorite AFI riot. <laughs> yep, oh, sure. And she got pretty pissed off when I brought it up at first, but I think maybe we could get her on the show. I feel like you're going to get every account, but yeah, that's a good one. That would be a great one, actually. I'll be an amazing one to get her account. And I think also Ed Fox will be there, um, hopefully, um, <laughs> who is the person who. Who uh, is the, who got me to bring Davey Havoc over to my house? If you have not heard the episodes with Jordan Posner from No Warning and Terror, Mike Halichuk from Fucked Up, Davey Havoc Part One, I believe we really go in, into it. Um, and I'm trying to think what some other episodes that has come upon Chris. Uh, I can't remember. It's come up a lot. But it's, it's come up like, a lot. It's kind of like our. Uh, <laughs> Our Kennedy assassination in the sense that we're trying to get every single perspective that's out there. But we yes. don't have video. More importantly, Damien is paramount in Damien's life. <laughs> Dude, you, you want you you to get this info too, right? Oh, I'm – We've got to find I out. I definitely want to hear it. But you're – you are – you are definitely – Well, yeah. No, I'm the one trying to book a live reenactment. <laughs> More or less, exactly. Dude, a live but, reenactment would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you should attempt it. Yeah, well, I, that's my goal in life is I want to uh, build uh, mountains out of molehills. <laughs> For sure. There was uh, – I'm trying to think of some other things to pivot. Uh, I wanted to because I don't – the the whole Roadkill Records thing I didn't know a lot about. So Roadkill was by him and Ben and Dave Best. Okay. Yeah. So ran from like 89 to not very long, 90? Yeah. But they did put out a bunch of records. In put out a bunch of records. Years. Yeah. It's not bad for a two-year run. No, um, there's, a, there's like – I would say that record label and Underdog are the two most important Chicago record labels from the mid-'80s. This is obviously from someone who didn't live there. Yeah. Um, but like you know, between those two labels, you really do get – Underdog Records especially, which we have done, I believe, a deep dive on before. Gotcha. 
Uh, this we, one, I think, I've, I know that Bopal Stiff's record, We I think we've talked about that before because I definitely know that cover. Yeah. But. yeah, we've talked about that before, but I don't think we've talked about this label before. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, once again, not a, not a ton of records on it, but as you said, like, a lot of key records on it, a lot of really cool records. Yeah, like some like I'm not uh I don't own a lot of this. Obviously Effigies is cool. I know that. I know the Punko single. I know Bugada. Bubble Stiffs, I don't know if I've heard this twelve inch to be honest. And I do not know whatever this next record is. Rat Tail Grenadier. Rat Tail Grenadier is the pre squirt gun band. Ah, okay. Um, Definitely have not heard that. No empathy you've mentioned to me, but I've never sought this out. But it looks amazing. It's a great record, yeah, it's, and it's super cheap. That's a record that you can definitely get pretty, pretty easily, pretty inexpensively. Yeah. Um, and every time I'm in Chicago, I wind up seeing it once or twice. But <laughs> it, it's it's worth picking up. Uh, the Sludgeworth record, of course, who um, yeah, Jughead mentions they toured with back in the day. Yeah. Uh, on their Which is so. The other thing that threw me actually while we're on that topic is he's mentioning Fudge Tunnel. Which I didn't, I wasn't aware. Fudge Tunnel is like a Chicago band, or no? Uh, I think it might be a different Fudge Tunnel. Okay, because I'm like, there are two, really. I, I guess. I guess like They're, Fudge Tunnel, like you know, pretty common slang. Maybe it's just the one. Well, there's one here, yeah, an underdog. So that's not the same, I don't believe. Band. No. Because that threw me right away. I was like, whoa, is that the like whatever earache band? But I thought they were British. That's why it threw me. But no, there's no, a British like band. It's, it's a different band. band, the British band. Yeah, this has an exclamation point. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so there are, in fact, well, at least two, perhaps more. But yeah, that threw me. I, the whole time I was listening, I thought that is a bizarre connection. If that's what I think it is, but <laughs> it it is not, as it turns out. <laughs> no, but it's funny. Uh, but you know, kind of like on the more industrial tip, that Sludgeworth record, I had no idea it was produced by Steve Albini. Well, that like I mean, obviously geographically this makes sense, but uh, I did not know that either. But he did. I don't know. Well, obviously it's a different band, but he because he did Wiggle, didn't he too? By Screeching Weasel. Did he? I think he did. If I remember correctly, oh, man, we can check right now. But yeah, I'm checking um, right now. I had no idea. Like that's that is like fuck. I cannot wait to one day hopefully interview Steve Albini again because that's the kind of shit I want to talk to him about. It's like fuck uh, Nirvana. Maybe it's, maybe it's not. No, no, Mas- Master Genie producer. Yeah, it is. But I thought there was a uh, an Albini connection there too. I, I'm probably I don't know. There, my, I might be off. Maybe it's not. I always thought it was Wiggle, but you're right. It is not. Um, maybe it's no. Yeah, I don't know what record it would be then. So I don't. Maybe there isn't one of the singles. Maybe. I wonder what single. I don't know. But anyway, I'm probably off. That's just me talking. Uh, talking out of school. Man, I I really. I really uh, want to try and, uh, you know, find this connection if it is if it's out there. One thing I do also want to talk about is, are you a fan of that song, El Mazzante? I can't remember. That's on that split, but I don't – I'm trying to think of what it sounds like. I haven't listened to it in a while. It's the like – Janelle, it, I remember, obviously. Yeah, Janelle. <laughs> Pretty memorable. 
Yeah. Uh, Go Fuck Yourself is also great. The Screeching Weasel side is a blur to me, honestly. I remember the Born Against ones, but I can't remember the Screeching Weasel ones. Uh, the Screeching Weasel songs are fucking incredible. Yeah, it's a good split from what I remember. I just, yeah, I don't remember. Somewhere in El Salvador, there's a grave for 700 put there by a desk water. I will, uh, I will report back next episode when I spin it again. It's hard. Putting it on right now. <laughs> legit, legit awesome song. Also, the song uh, Fuck This is incredible, too. This record is great. It has a great vibe. And uh, I'm a big fan that of this happening. Let alone that it's a lookout record, and I just think Born Against are really cool. Obviously, like it's and it's such a bizarre pairing, but it works. It's kind of has that attitude about both bands, at least as far as like of the era. Like someone like Ben or Sam work together well. I think it's it's actually bizarre they never tried to do a band that wasn't their own like thing, like there wasn't a side project thing yeah, with all yeah. these members. Yeah, I think it would have worked. I think Born Against also. That's like the that's like the I don't know, one of the coolest bands, vibe-wise. Yeah, it's another one of those groups that has a pretty, um, you know, like the entire output is pretty bulletproof. I can't, there's nothing I could really, you know, even the splits, you know, which split splits are always a, a tricky thing uh, to navigate in the career of a band. But I, I yeah. I, I'm a big cool. fan. Like, and also the bands they chose to do splits with, right? Like Man's a Bastard, Screeching yep. Weasel, Universal Order of Armageddon, and yep. I guess Sucker Punch is pretty early on, but Sucker Punch too. Yeah. Um, an interesting band. But all the stuff, I don't know, yeah. It's easy to uh, praise Born Against. I think it's pretty common, whatever, accepted uh, lore at this point that they're you know, they're the legend, one of those legendary groups that people speak of. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to get to before we quickly um, transition into on this one? I don't know if there's something we didn't get to. We'll, we'll hit it up in another thing. We'll hit sure. it up. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's move on to yeah. live from the house of vans. All right. Episode of yeah. the show or part of the show portion of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Craig Satari, Craig ahead. From yes. Straight Ahead, Agnostic Front, NYC Mayhem, and of course, Sick of It All, Creep Division 2, Chris, not forgetting that. Yeah. Uh, and then also Fletcher from Con 800, Pennywise, and uh, being the boogeyman uh, for a lot of bands and a lot of people <laughs> on tours with them. A very intimidating individual, but uh, someone that... Uh, is a fountain of ridiculous stories. So yeah, this was a huge, this was, this was incredible. I was supposed to do them separately and they're like, Oh, we want to do it together. I was like, Which oh. I thought it worked really well. I wouldn't have been sure how that would have panned out, but it was good. I thought, I thought it was okay. Was, yeah. Like yeah. I, and I, especially cause they had an interesting story about meeting each other. <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, first of all, I think just really funny that you had what, like, I don't know, a half an hour with both of them and you still managed to get in conversations about straight ahead and con 800 which is hilarious well that's what i opened uh, with <laughs> well exactly that's just super funny uh great but super like i don't know con 800 that one was not new that one was completely new to me pardon me uh the straight ahead one i love that that was the opening question <laughs> was, you, you were speaking on behalf of a whole bunch of uh 
people of a certain persuasion <laughs> that that's exactly what they think of every time that he comes up. Oh God. Yeah. There's so many, fuck. There's so many things I want to hear, you know, from that, uh, you know, from that era, but that straight ahead record, the unreleased stuff is still like the most stuff I want to hear. Uh, Con 800 is just like total raging thrash from Hermosa, Hermosa beach, 81, 82. Um, as Fletcher says, you can hear it on YouTube, but like the songs are like 30 seconds. Like, and it's just like ripping. There's ripping. a bootleg seven inch. Is there a bootleg seven inch? There was a bootleg seven oh my inch. God. Well, that was pressed in 2012. And it's released on a label called World Greatest <laughs> out of Europe somewhere. Oh, and God. it's listed on the resource, and there is a. There it is. And they have like bizarre. Um, they have a Zero Boys record, apparently. Black Market Baby, Fear, who I assume is the Fear and not another Fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is the Fear, apparently. And Outpatient's Black Market Baby split and seventy six percent uncertain. I don't know who that band is, but oh, that's 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 a band that um, from DC, awesome hardcore band that uh, went on to become um, like a lot of the guys in the first line of Shelter. Oh, okay. Uh, the record wow. looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, don't I would not want to, I would not want to be the guy that boot like this if Fletcher ever found you. Yeah, it's crazy though, but like, it appears to be yeah having uh, been bootlegged. I don't know if this is the same label. It is the same label. They just like waited. They're like, let's get back in the bootlegging game. Ten some odd twenty years after. Yeah, I guess. This uh, they look like they did an okay job of it too, because there's like a, I don't know, some kind of an interview or something that they've. I think that's the one I was kind of talking to, where I kind of found out about this band from, which is from that great god pan oh maybe not maybe it's like a different thing but like no it might be it's it definitely looks like the article from the great god pan fanzine that it came could out be, yeah. way back it just when. starts with the south bay second wave of punk and then so i assume probably something like that yeah but yeah so there we go didn't know that gotta try and check this out actually it's on youtube too nice yeah was, that's where i've listened to it on youtube i will check that out but yeah, I wasn't aware of that. When you started talking about that, I thought, okay, this is neat. I, I, I didn't know, again, there's some groups I just, you never, or at least for me, I never thought to like deep, like dive into like whatever the background of Pennywise for whatever reason is one of those bands. And uh, I don't know why, because it makes sense <laughs> that they would have perhaps been involved in things prior. Um, but yeah. It's funny though with him, because it's, it's like he's not. Right. Like, you know, for a guy who's been involved in music as long as he has, he only has like 58 credits. And it's because, like, he doesn't really do anything but like Pennywise. And he's focused on that band. Like once they start, like, you know, it's 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 wild. Like 89, uh, that band starts and is still going like what a run they've had. Yeah, that is crazy. Like I, I'm. I only got into them probably – I was aware that they – we've talked about this on the show I think in the in the previous episodes too. But I only ever got into them much later obviously than, than the late 80s. But um, yeah, it, it's just weird. Like I can't – I always forget the band. a lot of bands like this are continuing. 
<laughs> I just assume that a lot of them have come and it's if they haven't broken up at a certain point, then they've reformed in certain little things. It's just like reunion types scenarios. Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware that this was like a, an ongoing uh, project still. I thought it was just like, you know, like a reunion scenario. So anyway, yeah. No, I've they never, never they never did. They, they lost a singer for a minute, right? Like uh, uh, Jim quit the band and was replaced by Zoli Teglis from Ignite. Gotcha. And we were on tour with him on that. That was the tour we were on, and Zoli was the singer. Okay. Um, it's it's amazing. Like I could not imagine a what I would perceive a bigger personality clash between those two guys. <laughs> but and I think they even said that they first met because they were going to fight each other. Oh, wow. So <laughs> they did it, and oh my gosh, I'm so glad I got to see that. It was <laughs> I've seen Zoli Teglis sing for Pennywise and the Misfits. I've never, now that I think about it, I have never seen him perform. Really? You never saw Ignite? No, I never saw Ignite. Uh, and I never saw either of incarnation of those groups. I never saw the Misfits ever. Um, and the only time I've ever seen him was in our mutual friend's driveway in uh, Huntington Beach <laughs> for three seconds. Uh, not not like you know no real interaction, but just like oh, there's uh, there's that dude. You should have okay. started singing "Call on My Brothers" as loud as you could, right to his face. Yeah, probably not wise. I, I, I love you, man. <laughs> I I liked Ignite too, and dude. So I love I was, Ignite. I definitely was like you know it was like oh there's you know there's like there's That's someone like, I, that might be like one of my favorite parts in any song ever when he's like I love you, man. <laughs> call on before this part at the end it's great like ignite again i haven't listened to it in a very long time but yes when that when that dropped i was very into it it's a cool record i wonder what i'm sorry i'm just looking at the pennywise discography now oh cortex i was like what is cortex and it's like oh it's just a subsidiary of another label okay um but pennywise uh that first seven inch is is a classic yeah, never again. With them, they're another group I never really – that I can even think of. I don't think I ever got into the singles at all. I was just mainly for the LPs. Maybe that EP was the first – I think there's a Theologian EP I want to say that I was into, which is the – I'm trying to look it up here. Uh, no. The next one where they do Stand By Me. I'm aware of that version, but I don't know. World from the, definitely a word from the wild, wild card, maybe? No. No, it must be. Hmm. I've not looked at these things in a long time. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I thought there was one with like a face on the cover. What is that? Uh, I don't know. A face. I'm trying to think of which one that would be. Maybe I'm just remembering things poorly. But um, anyway, those first... Uh, Three, first two LPs in particular I really enjoyed. About Time, I kind of lost me a bit. And then Full Circle, I thought was decent. And then that was that's kind of my run. I didn't really follow much after. I got to cover the first press because Derek, who was also on this show, uh, on the Toronto Hardcore episode, I guess traded with, I assume, Fletcher, a yep. bunch of MSI 7 Inches for nice. a bunch of Pennywise records back in the day and just never sold them. 
And then, so a couple wow. of years at the, I believe it was the not dead yet record swap. They had, he had like his box of like 10 of these Pennywise first press seven inches for sale. Wow. Yeah. So you scored on that. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Like it, it definitely, uh, yeah, I was stoked to see it. And they're not, this record isn't that pricey, which I'm no, sort of shocked. It's sort crazy. Of shocked, right? Like it was like, I was shocked just how little it goes for. Yeah, considering it's from the late 80s, that's kind of... It's only 500. Huh. Of the first press. Yeah, I never never got into the singles. It was like straight with the LPs on this, this band, and I yeah, none of them, I'm even just looking here, yeah, none of them jump out at me either. I never heard anything even in passing that I can think of. I feel yeah. like there was something with Theologian, though, so it must be one of these two, because I remember getting into that, like, first LP and then I knew they had other things out. I feel like there's not different covers for that first seven inch. I don't like that are think a different so. image. There is anyway. different covers in the sense that like there's an inner cover where it's like the Pennywise logo. Yeah. That someone could fold over where it's like a clown. But I think that's like the early pressings of Yeah, it must be it might be like this wild, I think it's the Wildcard record because I remember that cover, like that cover of "Stand by Me." Meaning, um, oh, but maybe it's this. There it is. It's the CD thing. Oh, the Wildcard. Uh, yeah, it's both of them. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was it. readily available when we were because the nine exactly. It's the cover, the colored cover one that came out on CD, and it does have a weird like clown on the back illustration face. on the back. I knew there was a face on it. I was like, well, I remember that face. But, uh, which is also super funny because the typeface they use on the back of this is the same as like integrity of that era. Yeah. And I think I also that, that drawing of the face in the back is like, yeah. it looks like it could be on an unwritten law record. It also looks like it could be on an infectious screws record. Which Definitely. <laughs> it's that vibe for sure but yeah that's so yeah it's it's a collection of those two eps that was released on cd that's i never knew this so i guess in theory i did actually know those singles but i was unaware that they were singles at the time it's wild to think of that happening at the same time operation ivy and erosis are happening just a little bit up the coast mm-hmm. uh at the same time uh like um unit pride's happening at the same time like infest is happening like it, it's wild to think of like that period is just like for the type of music that we're into like what a fertile time like that was where everything was about to boil over like nirvana's happening like just about <laughs> to happen at that point too like way up the coast but still it's all like in a, a straight line yeah, it is bizarre. I mean, it's. I think it's easier to look back the way we are. Uh, well, obviously, it's easier to look back than the way we are now. But yeah, I don't know. It's. I don't know if it, anything's. I don't know if you could have had a handle on all of it. Is what I'm trying to get at. Like, I think you might have been into like one of these things, but I doubt you would have been into all of it at the time if you lived out there. I don't know. Just my thought, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I think Chris Dodge. Yeah, I guess. He was the closest, I, I don't know right? How like Pennywise he was though. Maybe did that come up? Well, not, well, like not so much Pennywise, but certainly like, you know, no use for a name, who I guess, you know. Yeah, true. And and no effects eventually when he worked at the label. Mhm. Yeah, good point. I forgot about that whole connection there too. So yeah, so I suppose I don't know, just for me I think like it's easier now where 
things are are categorized or whatever in in an easier way. Whereas I'm assuming when this stuff was coming out initially, there wasn't that I don't know as you say so often like codified. Uh, you know the scenes weren't such like well maybe the scenes were prominent, but I, I just feel like some of these bands probably gain more notoriety later than they they had at the time. Obviously, something like Neurosis is a bit of a different animal, or the Melvins or something, but like this, or, you know, like you're saying, like Unit Pride, or, you know, like Unit Pride, I'm, I don't know, if I had to guess, it's probably something that came to my attention much later. So I'm assuming that band got a second life in the era of people, like, digging for things that were uncommon. I don't know, though, because of Redemption 87, I think that's why I heard of that band. Yeah, there are another, like, yeah, but I think even that, that even is a, I mean, these bands had followings, there's no question, but I, I think Redemption, I remember only first hearing out of, I don't know, maybe post-AFI something or other they referenced, or... Nerve Agents, after the Nerve Agents stuff came out. Yeah, the Nerve Agents, I remember, but I even, I remember Redemption before that, before that stuff came out, but I, because when... Nerve Agents came out. I remember it being like some kind of a relation to the other band, but well, I was, I was, yeah, like I remember being a huge Redemption '87 fan. It was almost like that was like the Youth Crew revival false start, you know, like when it was like Fast Harker was back. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, what I'm saying is though, like in that exact time, because these are you're, you know, you and I are. That record, even though that redemption record, I don't even know what year that is. It's certainly later, all uh, things considered. Like 95, 96? Yeah. Maybe even 97. Oh, maybe, maybe that was, maybe we were getting that at the time. I thought that was a bit earlier, but I thought it was like in between. No, no, I bought that as it came out type thing. Okay. I definitely heard it a little later. I, I never got that when it, right when it was kind of coming out. But after the fact, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, this is something that people are, yeah, 96, huh? Who knew? I thought Nerve Agents came out in like 96. No, Nerve Agents were like wait, like a little bit later. Oh, yeah, and I guess I totally forget that Jade was in Redemption 87 from, yeah. from AFI. Yeah. That's funny. Nerve Agents was only two years apart from this band. I don't know. I thought I in my mind Redemption 87 was way – maybe because 87's in the name in my head. I thought they were started in 87 or something. I don't know. Dude, how have we a, never fucking talked about Redemption 87 – what a crazy confluence of of people from like ridiculous bands. <laughs> well, I'll go through it. <laughs> okay, you've got Eric Ozine from yeah. from uh, the aforementioned uh, Unit Pride. Yeah, you have Gary Gutfeld who played in Social Unrest and the High Fives, the Lookout oh. Band, the High Fives. That's strange. Okay, yeah, and I, I don't. I think he played in a later incarnation of of both those bands but still like you know um and then you have uh ian miller who plays in like tons of you know various bands was but was in skanking pickle (laughs) yep right and all you can eat the legendary all you can eat (laughs) i love that band uh but then you also have jade from afi and then you have uh, and Timmy Chunks from Token Entry. Yeah, that's a strange collection of people. Like Unipride, Token Entry, uh, AFI, 
like, wow, whoever thought, never shall the three meet, except in Redemption 87. I think, though, that, that this band is sort of like a precedent, which happens a much more, like, from this era forward, too. Like, the aforementioned Creep Division, related to the Craig Satari content, uh, I think is kind of a version of this. Uh, superior version of it, if I dare say. But well, Redemption 87? Yeah. Like what you mean, like a super group type thing? No, but like the idea of groups of this ilk forming, where I guess it's a little different because the, some of these people popped after, but like in terms of Redemption 87, yeah. they, like the prominence is later rather than the prominence from other groups is sort of bigger than what Creep Division is or whatever, however you want to say that. But I think that's more of like a thing from like the mid 90s forward to make like groups like this, like that idea of a group like that. I agree. Like the super quote unquote super group, like even still. But this was like, know. yeah, because I don't think they put this together as a super group, right? Like no, at the time, no, you're you're correct. I'm viewing it from the other way. Yeah, yeah. Like I guess maybe Unipride had a bit of a name, and certainly Token Entry is a legendary band, but but I don't like I don't know I don't think it was like the same. Like whereas Creep Division came together as like a super group, like yes, the yes. dudes from Good Riddance and Craig Satari. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, like I I'm viewing it the other way, but yeah, I I yeah. I wish that Creep Division record looked slightly different because I think, as you're saying, like, and as I'm thinking about it, this it's so much better than you think it would be. Totally, based on the air and the look of it. I feel like it only came out on CD too, maybe or something. Is that I'm trying to think now. Let's see. Gonna look it up. Six versions on Indecision. Uh, oh, it came out as an LP. Oh, it did. Indecision released it. Sorry. Here in Canada, we it was released on Sonic Onion, which is also extremely bizarre. That is so weird. Um, but yeah, it, it is a very plain-looking album, and it doesn't it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't look like anything, really. And so you don't get any impression. And it also looks like of like the sort of late 90s, early 2000 era, but it's very good. Yeah, no, it is. The songs are great. Like, I think I remember hearing that it was some of those songs that he brings up from that unreleased straight, straight ahead session with him singing. Yeah, I mean, that it would make sense that that would possibly be the case. I don't know. But yeah, this is uh, I'm sad I don't own this, actually. Yeah, it's not that expensive on vinyl, too. It'd be cool to get no, on. It's a cool record. It's a it's it's much like cooler than it would seem like in terms of like the like the year and and all that it's it's very very good so is it just good riddance with him singing <sighs> i've never looked oh, no, it's deep weird it's just the oh it's the drummer from the nerve agent or the no he oh the drummer i thought armand no it isn't eh i thought it was him and armand and then the rest but i guess it's for some reason in my head i thought it was armand no, like it's, this, time, it's, but it's yeah, Joe, Joe Fish, Fish, who uh, real name Joe Haberman, who has one of the more bizarre discogs I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, vocals and nerve agents. Yep, <laughs> in Creep Division on drums, and then technical credits for like Long Beach Dub All Stars and Dio. It's crazy, and then visual credits for Tav Falco and the Panther Burns. Yeah, so I don't know. I I. I think I always assumed it was uh, half and half, like half whatever, sick of it all straight ahead, half at Good Riddance. But 
Anyway, clearly I'm wrong about that, but nonetheless, it's a great record. It is a great record. Um, yeah. Wow, this, this is, I'm, I'm just sorry, I'm just like taken aback by this Discogs. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get this guy and turn it to punk. Dude, your Discogs just tripping me out, man. All right. Uh, yeah, no, Creep Division, definitely. I gotta get this on vinyl, too. Yeah, same. I don't have Add it to the want list. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, any any points you wanted to get to, to from this episode in particular? Ooh. Um, the live one that we already haven't touched on? We touched on Pennywise a lot. You're talking the Craig content? I think the Craig content, too. Like, what a first yeah. meeting those two had. <laughs> I thought they're the, everything. I think, like, the obvious thing to talk about is the Rollins story is pretty big. Oh, my God. The Rollins story is <laughs> incredible. And, uh, yeah, it's something I could never envision because Fletcher appears to be a very large gentleman and I, it just doesn't seem to make sense, but I guess it would based on him talking about the story of the era being that he was younger and all that. Henry Rollins has kind of a Conor McGregor vibe back then, you know, like he, he's not that big, but you definitely won't want to fuck with him. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's, uh, I think that's accurate. Probably could also run his mouth pretty good. Yeah, I just I think like it's 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 just a strange story. I mean, it it does make sense when he says like whatever his friends did something and they he essentially got blamed, so that's why it happened. But it is a of all of the tales told <laughs> uh, yeah. on this podcast, that's a very interesting one, and I think a pretty rare story that you hear at least about that, about Henry. I mean, you've, there's stories obviously that float around, but that's one I've never heard <laughs> before. Like something like that. I think also the one about stabbing himself a bunch of times is a pretty crazy story. That's definitely yes, in the pantheon of, of wildest turned into punk stories. Yes. And the fact that you were sort of there or whatever is, is yeah. also adds to it. Yeah. No, that definitely was that tour with him was one of the wildest tours I've ever been on. Like that, it was top to bottom. It was a crazy tour. Like everyone that was on that tour, uh, but just like, like it's not a gimmick. Like everything about that dude that you hear is true. Like he was a madman on that tour, just, <laughs> just like kicking in dressing room doors, uh, you know, stabbing himself with bottles, uh, and you know. But he had the best stories. Who else could tell you like ridiculous stories about all these like you know. Hermosa Beach legends and had seen all that and then all this crazy stuff in the 90s. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, like, again, you would, whenever you came off that tour, I remember you telling me about some of these things, but still don't really click in. Like, I just assumed it was, you know, sort of par for the course, you know, crazy musician type stories, like, like a bit of hard partying or whatever. But, like, that story is kind of wild. I still don't really. I'm being honest, I don't really understand the logic of <laughs> Yeah. I understand the logic of making a spectacle, therefore they will talk about this band I feel is underrated or whatever his what he was saying, but it's just such a bizarre way to go about doing that. But uh hey, I don't know. It it worked. <laughs> what can you say? Yeah, no, it definitely it definitely worked. You know, it it, it got people talking about the Brock set. Uh not a great thing to have to follow up though. I can tell you from no. experience. Did you you had to go on after that? Yeah. Ooh, same stage? Uh stage across the field. Oh, wow. It was like boom boom. Um but yeah, it was a, a very 
It was a very weird tour. We're on the same stage as, as like Rob Zombie. Oh, okay, so it was like a big fest like that. Okay. It was a huge festival that like that, that had stage like five stages, I think going off at different times. Gotcha. And we would always get like, we were, it was us, the Melvins, like there were all these bands on the stage and Rob Zombie was there. And so Rob Zombie's gear would always break the fuck down for some reason. And then it would always delay the the band set, you know? And so they would just go up to the next band and be like, you have to cut a song or two. And the band would be like, fuck you and just keep playing. And then <laughs> we're the last band on the stage, right? Which is not a headlining slot, believe me, because we're playing against like every huge band imaginable. Yeah. Uh, it's like a cleanup slot more, more or less, but like in the sense yeah. that you're, you're cleaning up people that, that really, you know, don't want to see Metallica for some reason. Um, and so we would get to our set and they'd be like, yeah, like, you know, your guys are going to have to cut like 20 minutes from your set today. Wow. It was like a 30 minute set to begin with, you know, everyone in the band would be super bummed, but I would be so fucking stoked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> yeah my favorite phrase in in the english language is you're gonna have to cut some songs tonight <laughs> <laughs> oh you're very funny um but that was that was a, a wild thing to kind of bear witness to even though i was across a field during it but close enough to kind of you know find out what was going on right after it uh, one point I wanted to definitely talk about was the idea of of sick of it all as East Coast hardcore uh, emissaries going out and meeting all these West Coast uh, skate punk and pop punk kind of bands, mm-hmm. sure, and, and being like the the band of first contact with them, almost like just going out and just kind of you know doing the reach out, the outreach. Well, this has always been your. You've had an assertion. You were the one person that's always had the assertion of, is it the Davey Havoc sick of it all thing or something that he brought back aspects of experiencing whatever via them? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just always saw it as they were were always the band that seemed to be, um, whatever, like legitimately touring. Like they were the one act seemingly, I think arguably, arguably still, like really active band. Like they tour, it seems to be like a genuine full-time thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I wonder seems, how many shows they do a year. I don't know. It seems like, I mean, now maybe it's a little slower. Like maybe they're not as active that I could be wrong, but like that era, like anything from like basically blood sweat up to, oh, good Lord, I don't even know, like at least the mid nineties or, or late nineties. It just seemed like they always had records out. They were always touring. Like, I mean, yeah. I can't count the amount of times I could have seen them, let alone have – I've only seen them once, but I could have seen them numerous, numerous times. Oh, no, so that's not true. I've seen them more than once. Um, but, yeah, like it's – I don't know. I think that's all it is. Like they, they did the they did the hard work. Yeah, no, they definitely they definitely were the band and, and never stopped touring. So they – they were the band that like, you know, were the, one of the first New York hardcore bands that I got to see later on. Yeah. I think, um, probably for me too. Now that I think about that, I never really gave much thought to it, but yeah, they were, I mean, I think they're a band now. I think any band that, that continues, um, through decades, which is what has happened with that group 
uh, I think are very much taken for granted. I think there's an era of those records that are really, really, really strong. And yeah, they, they're in the history books with New York Hardcore, but I, I don't think, for me, I, I don't know, like that Rev 7-inch I think is, is outstanding. Like it's yeah. still really like, it's so easy to talk about the other records that sort of get more uh, hype for a variety of reasons. But I think one of those reasons is when you don't go away, you know, your legacy, as much as like you should, arguably they do get a lot of respect as a band, but it just like it. I don't know. Even people like me take it for granted. But mm-hmm. there, some of those records of that era, even Blood Sweat's excellent. I, I think even up to the mid '90s, their their output is really, really strong. Yeah, no, oh, definitely. Uh, built to last. Like that's where on the LP version, I think the first place I heard. No, I heard it on the uh, CD single for Scratch the Surface. Uh, there's that's the first place I heard Straight Ahead when they covered. You know, when they covered the Straight Ahead song. They do that on a on a single for what? For scratch the surface. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't think it's on the seven inch version. No, they just do Boston Breakout on the seven inch version for some reason. <laughs> that um, is bizarre. But on the CD version, which was my brother had, Tristan had that. Uh, they do uh, they do consume as well, and also straight ahead. Huh. And I'm just looking it up now, you're right. Yeah, their version Did of straight ahead is so fucking killer. Released on East West in '94, this appears to only be for the. Is it on the? It's not on the U. Yes, this was in Europe. They released this Germany yeah. specifically. It's funny that that's on the CD yet not on the seven inch. No, but it's on the vinyl version of Built to Last too, I believe, as a bonus track. Oh, okay. There we on go. On Equal Vision. No, it's not. Shit, I thought there was something with it on Built to Last, but. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong. I'm still floored that actually Equal Vision did the vinyl for that record. Yeah, they must have. uh, They must have like had no interest at Electra at the time for doing vinyl. Yeah, but even still, like why, why not Rev? You know, I mean, like it just seems such a strange, not a strange pairing, really, but it's, it's, it's that's like. That era is funny. Like the mid '90s get real wacky with why certain things fell out the way they did. I, I, that's one. I mean, Equal Vision are great. I just I was going to say because that's kind of like the lean years for Rev, but also that's the time that Rev was doing the vinyl for like No Doubt and exactly. Machine or Civ or like you know like yeah yeah stuff like that, right? So it just it's very in keeping, but it could have had something to do with I don't know maybe they were the like the feeder for that major for a minute for whatever reason or who knows. Yeah. It's, just, it's very peculiar though. I had no idea that the vinyl version of this was that expensive too. Uh, the regular press seems pretty reasonable. No, the blue one. <laughs> well, of course you're looking at the blue one, David. Yeah, of course I want the blue one. <laughs> it sounds better. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, I, it's about what I would expect. Yeah. I don't know. I guess because at the time, I felt maybe the blue one was impossible to get at the time too. I'm trying to remember back that actually. <laughs> For listeners, this came out in ninety seven and Damien was going that hard since ninety seven minimum. That was ninety seven was when it was really kicking into high gear, Chris. <laughs> as I as I sit here uh surrounded by the culmination of that addiction. <laughs> never ends. Never, never ends. ends. It never no. ends. 
This is uh, a cool record, though. I really like this record, actually. For again, for what I consider to be like a late record, although arguably it's probably like a mid-period record. Yeah, now. I would say it's um, one of their earlier. <laughs> like, yeah. realistically, it's one of their earlier records at this point. Yeah, it's a cool record. Yeah, I don't the know what was... it was with like art direction of just putting like cars on things. <laughs> like, there's like like Slapshot, I believe, has a record uh, I think of the same year or thereabouts, and it's like got a car on it too. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. This one really makes sense to the title, though. Built to last. It's like an old, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's like a like a Chevy looking truck with a Sick of It All logo on it. Yeah. What about the Sick of It All Mob Deep uh, thing about the logo? Do you remember that? I didn't know there was a beef, but was there? It wasn't a. It apparently it was at the start. It was kind of like a beef thing. Yeah. Because uh, Mob Deep took the Sick of It All dragon and straight up just used it around Hell on Earth, right? Yeah, they have it. I thought like there's definitely tattoos that they they have. I think it's on Hell on Earth. It's like, yeah, I'd have to look it up again. But I didn't clearly. Obviously, the alleyway alleyway crew thing it would be earlier. I'm guessing just based on. Oh HFL. yeah, definitely. Like, they had the copyright on it, and so like, I, I guess there was no lawsuit or anything that happened. But like, they did a song together. Was like really? yeah. There's a there's a Mob Deep Sick of It All collab song. I thought, um, if I'm not mistaken, on one of those. I thought you were going to tell me there was like a whatever a single or a 12 inch or something that came out. I never. Uh... Well, now I'm wondering what what format it did come out on. Speaking of which, like total sidebar, like related slash not related, it's still unbelievably cool that they had KRS One do a shout out on the intro to Blood Sweat. Yeah, it's so fucking sick. It's still maybe one, honestly, like low key, it's definitely one of the coolest things to come out of hardcore ever, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a cool, like that Warzone intro everyone knows, and it's amazing. And it's certainly the Warzone intro to me is a bit untouchable, but that KRS one's pretty un- unreal. Like, it's a great choice of, a, of an MC to use, too, like specifically, especially yeah. in 89. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, it, like they, that's the thing is like, to, I'm trying to think what would be the equivalent of now. Like, who would be getting to be on your record? Because mm. that's is 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 broken is Boogie Down uh, Productions done by that point? Uh, that's another good question. I I would think, but I'm not sure. 89, they're probably still going. No, they're definitely still going in 89. Actually, so. that's a great question. I, I've never researched that. There might be stuff on that, why that came about, or how they approached that. How they had? I thought they. Yeah. I thought I remember hearing they were in the same studio recording. Maybe. Oh, that'd be cool. Fuck, but I, and I can't even ask Craig about that. That's before he joined the band. Yeah, I mean that's cool, Laura. I, I, that's one thing where you just take again. You take it for granted. You just like you forget these things. Yeah. Like, but that's an insanely cool intro. Um, they, uh, the Mob Deep Sick of It All song is Survival of the Fittest. Which is a Mob Deep song. Yeah, but it's a, yeah. A, like them playing the instruments on it. Oh, okay. So it's like, a, yeah, I get what you're saying. And it did come out on vinyl um, on the Loud Rocks release. Huh. Uh, also, to answer your question, Boogie Down was still active. So, yeah, so it would be, like, be like getting someone like super cool that was happening now to do it. Like, yeah. Once again, I'm like trying. I'm a, it escapes me right now, an app, like an app comparison, but yeah. Either way, I just I think it's something we should shout out. It, it's a uh, still one of the again. There's a lot 
that I think goes because it's a uh, sick of it all are very taken for granted is what I'm trying to say. And I, I think, think so. They should yeah. be. These are certain things that you know. These are and like obviously I'm referencing the, <laughs> something very old, but <laughs> nonetheless, very very cool. Like this this band has had very very cool moments throughout their career. The last time I watched was for sick of it all. Yeah, I witnessed it. That was the last time I saw them as well. Yeah, and I was so out of breath, I nearly died. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Uh, I don't even remember what year that show was. I think it was almost a decade ago now. I think it would be around two thousand eight. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it was a that was a fun show. Sick of it all, Madball, Wisdom Chains. Yeah, and Walls another one too, maybe. No? Mm, I can't uh, remember who that else. That makes sense. Uh, Definitely yeah, those remember. three, though. Oh no, Death Before Dishonored, the Boston Death. Right, Before Death Before Dishonored played too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was who else played. What a yeah, yep. it was a good show. All right. Uh is there anything else we want to get to from this week's episode, Chris? <laughs> Honestly, probably. I just don't know other than what we've discussed. Yeah, we've talked late. a lot. We've talked a lot tonight. Um yeah. well that's it, everyone. Next week on the show, the the king shit disturber of the fast punk scene, the fast hardcore scene, Mark McCoy from Charles Bronson and Youth Attack Records and Das Oath and like, you know, failures and tons of stuff now. But uh, for, you know, because we're talking about Turn Into Punk, we mainly talk about Charles Bronson. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we, and we definitely do talk about Ebro being on Jerry Springer. So. <laughs> nice. That's in there of too. Of course. <laughs> uh, it's a fun episode. Uh, it's, it's worth checking out and that is next week. And then, uh, we got some hot fire coming up, Chris. I'm anticipating it. You were, uh, you were mentioning things to me off air. So yeah, we're on a good, we're on a good, we're on a good streak. We got some big, big, uh, big cool people coming up like, uh, some, uh, some big wants checked off the want list. Cool. To put it in the parlance that we know and love here. Yeah. You, uh, I don't know the the recent one. I mean, even this one we're doing tonight, I think, is like those three people are are very big names. Yeah, in the, in the world in which we inhabit, to me anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. We're just connecting all these dots, and eventually they will produce a beautiful picture. Uh, <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, but yeah, that is next week on the show, um, and we will see you then. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. I'm going to be on tour. So hopefully that doesn't fuck with footnotes too much, but it might. Uh, but you can find me uh, on various forms of social media at left for Damien. You can find me on tour on the West coast of the United States and Canada. And uh, yeah, that's it. Anything else you want to add, buddy? No, I'm good. good uh, safe travels on your tour. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And I will be out there. Uh, bring me records and weed and I will bring you <laughs> love and uh, that's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. 